Amen. Well, we are going to jump right into our study. We're going to pick up today part three of our study on end times. And let me just go ahead in the front of this message today, say that if you have not listened to part one and part two, I want to encourage you, go out there on social media, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you like to get your information, and uh, watch part one and part two. We're going to recap some things very quickly this morning, uh, but we're going to dive into where we're going today. Today we're going to talk about the Antichrist and the first three and a half years of the tribulation and really what is going to unfold on planet earth uh, during that time. Let me start with Acts 17 verse 11. Uh, The Bible says this, it says, The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And we said from day one that our goal uh, is not to get you to agree with our interpretation of end-time events. Uh, There is a lot of debate and discussion over the timeline of end-time events, and you have complete liberty uh, to come to your own conclusions. Amen? Uh, But what we do want to challenge you to do is, number one, have an open mind and just be open-minded to what the Scripture and what the Spirit is saying. We want to ask you to listen eagerly and intently, uh, really to hear the heartbeat behind this message. And then last but not least, my prayer is that we would all go to the scripture every single day with the intent of searching the scripture to find out what we really believe not based on thought or opinion but based on the word of God amen so I want to encourage you to do that and we made this statement early on that we do not have to agree on eschatology, which is the study of end times. We don't have to agree on our eschatology, but we do have to agree on the mission of the church. So we can disagree on end time events, but we can still work together. Amen. We can still win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil because that is really what the heart of the church is all about. And one of the schemes of the enemy is simply that Satan tries to use differences in eschatology to divide the body of Christ and get us to work against each other instead of for each other. I just want to tell you today, whether you agree or disagree with my interpretation of end time prophecy is irrelevant. I love you. I hope you love me. And together, amen, we can win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. And we can advance the kingdom of God here on earth while we have time to do that. So let's revisit just a couple things. So we said the purpose of prophecy is to authenticate the word of God so that we will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. We said that end time prophecy revolves around three things. God's land, which is Israel, God's people, the Jews, and God's holy city, Jerusalem. And that end time events revolve around God finishing what he started with Israel. Uh, We also said, where are we now? We answered that question on week one. Where are we now? We said we're living in the gap between verse 26 and verse 27 of Daniel. It's called the time of the Gentiles, the church age, and the time of Israel's blindness. Two weeks ago we said that the rapture is one of the most significant events in the end time because it is the trigger that will set into motion, right? All these things that are going to happen during the 70th week of Daniel and the great tribulation. And again, if you have not listened to the two messages, you need to go back and listen to them because we take those points I just talked about and dive very deep into them. Now look at that next point which is the first point on your outline today. So once the church has been raptured, And the Holy Spirit draws back from the earth. The first seal, and we're going to talk about the seven seals today, will be broken. And the Antichrist will be revealed but not unveiled. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to see today how that at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist is revealed as a political leader. But it's three and a half years into the tribulation before he is unveiled as the Antichrist and begins to demand worship. 
Uh, he will step into political power as a man of covenant, but he will not necessarily be a man of peace. Now, I want to just pause real quick again. If you have not gotten Dr. Forrest Van Zandt's syllabus on the end times and the timeline of Revelation, you can go to the website. If you'll scroll down on that homepage just a little bit, you'll see a link that says syllabus. You can put your email information in there, and it will be emailed to you in a PDF copy. Uh, because Dr. Forrest goes into some amazing details specifically about the Antichrist that I just do not have time to go into today. So I'm going to hit a couple key things that I believe are critical for us to understand to move toward the mission of the church, and that's reaching people with the gospel. And so I hope that you read that syllabus and make sure to take the time to dive into those things. So uh, let me ask you to do something with me for just a minute. I want you to imagine for just a minute what a post-raptured world is going to look like. I want you to imagine a world without a pro-life, without a pro-marriage, and without a pro-purity message. Imagine what our world would look like. I mean, right now we live in a world of chaos, but there's this resistance, right? There's, there's not a, there's a pro-choice mentality. There's a, a lesbian, gay, homosexual mentality. There's an anything goes kind of mentality out there. But right now in the world we're living in, all of that sin is met with a resistance called the church. Amen? But imagine a world where all those things are happening and there is no resistance. Imagine a world where there is no conviction of sin. When the Holy Spirit draws back from the earth, after the rapture of the church and the Holy Spirit draws back from the earth, Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you remember before you became a Christian how that when you were doing the things you knew you shouldn't do, you still knew it was wrong? Anybody remember that? I mean, you still did it, right? You still went out and did the thing you weren't supposed to do, but at least in your heart of hearts you knew you weren't supposed to do it. Imagine a world without that. Imagine a world without that conviction of righteousness, sin, and judgment. Imagine a world where there's no piercing of the heart by the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that, don't say that, don't go there, don't participate in that. Imagine a world where the voice of truth and the conviction of the Holy Spirit has now been withdrawn. Imagine a world where chaos and confusion because millions of people have now disappeared from planet earth. And I want you to understand something. When you imagine that world, I want you to hear something today. And I shared this, I believe, on the first week. Our world is not falling apart because it's really easy to look at our world today and all the chaos and confusion, riots in the streets and all the discord and the strife and, and I mean just the things that are happening. It's really easy to look at our world and say, man, our world's falling apart. Well, if you'll read the Bible, you'll find out our world is not falling apart. Our world is falling into place. It's falling into place for what God is going to do as a final act of redemption to save the nation of Israel. It is all falling into place. And so all of those things have to happen to create place, to create an opportunity for the Antichrist to step into power. So look with me in Revelation chapter 5. And the Bible says this. John is speaking. He says, and I saw a scroll. He's been called up into heaven. He's in the throne room. I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. That's God. And there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah... Heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw the lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. 
But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represents the sevenfold spirit of God that is set out into every part of the earth. Understand, Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Amen? He is the lion that the elders saw, and he is the lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world that John saw as he stepped before the throne. Look at verse 7. Jesus is who he's talking about here. Jesus stepped forward, took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, and when he had took the scroll, the four living beings... And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you are slaughtered. Your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them, those that have been ransomed and redeemed, to become a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. We'll talk about that part next week. And then I looked again, and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and the living beings and the elders. And they sang with a mighty chorus, right? Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and the sea saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power belonging to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. How many you know He's worthy today? Amen. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that redeemed us from His own blood. Now look at Revelation 6 verse 1. It says, And I saw... And as I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. And its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. So let's talk about this rider on the white horse. This rider on the white horse, when Jesus breaks the first seal, so we know it's not Jesus, because Jesus is the one breaking the seal. The rider on the white horse is the Antichrist. And he is stepping on the scene of the earth at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. The Bible says he is given two things. He is given a bow and he is crowned with a crown. And he's going to go out and win many battles and claim the victory. So this is what I want you to see. He is given a bow. What does that even mean? Well, in, in scripture, in prophecy, a sword is representative of warfare. And when you read the rest of those seven seals, the second seal is broken and the rider on the next horse has a sword in his hand and he brings war and chaos to the earth. But the first rider on the white horse, the Antichrist, doesn't have a sword, he has a bow. Now, there's a principle in Scripture called the law of first mention. And what does that mean? It means the first time something is mentioned in the Scripture, it kind of sets a precedence for every other interpretation throughout Scripture. So would you imagine that the first time the word bow is used in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 9. And it's the story of Noah. Y'all remember Noah and God flooded the earth? Well, verse 13 of Genesis 9 says this. God is speaking, and I will set my bow in the cloud. We call it a what? A rainbow, right? God said, I'll set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token or a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. So a bow represents covenant. Now look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. We read this two weeks ago. 
It says, and then he, speaking of the Antichrist, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. So this is what I want you to see. The Antichrist steps into power with a bow. He uses covenant. Not warfare, not manipulation, not, not, not warfare and not strength. He uses covenant to begin to enforce victory. Now what's interesting about that phrase, he will confirm a covenant. That word confirm means that he will prevail or he will enforce and give strength to the covenants that are in place. Now we don't have time to go into all of this, but you're going to recognize that there are going to be ten nations that are going to enter into a treaty with Israel. And how many of you recognize we just had the third one this past week? There are going to be ten nations. Three of those nations are going to fall away. There's going to end up being seven nations. And out of those seven nations, the Antichrist is going to rise. And this is what I want you to understand. The Antichrist is not one of those key leaders that makes the covenant with Israel. He is a leader that comes up from among the seven and he will enforce the covenant that was made. Because right now they're entering into all these treaties and all these covenants saying you can come to my land and I can come to your land and we're going to have fair trade and we're going to offer these things. But the reality is there's no one right now to enforce the covenant. But one day the Antichrist is going to step on the scene as a man with a bow, a covenant in his hand and he's going to put teeth to the covenant that has been made and he's going to rise up and the Bible says those seven kings are going to give power and authority to the Antichrist they're going to honor him and acknowledge him and he's going to step on the scene of the world with a covenant in his hand so to speak and he's going to begin to sway the world for his own agenda he's going to use covenant to manipulate the world for his own purpose and his own agenda and so he rises on the earth in the first three and a half years as a man of covenant, enforcing covenant. Not necessarily enforcing peace, because he's going to put some teeth in some things. How many of you know that when the police officer pulls you over and enforces the law, that doesn't sound very peaceful to you? You got a ticket that costs you $120, you're like, man, that's not peaceful. That's the picture of the Antichrist. There's a covenant, now he's going to enforce it. He's going to be a man of covenant, but not necessarily a man of peace, because all of a sudden it's going to begin to create some tension and some chaos in a world that is living at that time. So, the second thing that the Bible says about him in Revelations is that he's going to have a crown. Now, the word for crown is interesting, because it's not a king's crown, it's a victor's crown. And basically what the Bible is telling us is that through covenant, he's going to gain victory. And he's going to use that covenant, as I just said, to manipulate the world system to begin to move toward his agenda as a world leader. So for the first three and a half years, he's going to be revealed as this political power, but he's not going to be unveiled as an antichrist that demands worship until three and a half years into the tribulation. Everybody with me? Y'all good? All right, so let's talk about the first three and a half years of the great tribulation or what is called Daniel's 70th week and what I want to do is just unpackage some things we're gonna hit some bullet points here and just walk through some things that are gonna be happening during that first three and a half years of the tribulation there are some alarming and literally I put horrifying things that are gonna unfold on the earth as these things begin to happen so the first thing that's gonna happen we're gonna see we just talked about it the Antichrist is gonna be revealed as a political leader we just talked about that with a bow and with a crown 
The second thing I want you to see is that the 144,000 Jews are going to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and begin to testify that Jesus is Messiah and the blindness of Israel is going to be removed. And we talked about that two weeks ago. The third thing I want you to see is going to happen is the Jews are going to rebuild the temple and begin offering daily sacrifices in Jerusalem. And we know this is going to be true because Daniel 9 verse 27 says that three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist is going to put an end to the sacrifices and ultimately set himself up to be God. Now, let me just say this to you today. Uh, The temple could be rebuilt and sacrifices could be reestablished before the seven years of tribulation happens. But we know that it has to be in force and in place during that first three and a half years because the the main thing that's going to trigger the transition from the first three and a half to the last three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be the ending of the sacrifices of the Jews and the beginning of the Antichrist demanding that he be worshipped as God. Okay? Now let's talk about that next point. I want you to see So the two witnesses. There are two witnesses. There are actually two prophets that we're going to see that are going to step on the scene of humanity and begin to prophesy judgment against the Antichrist and the new world system that is being established on the earth. So remember, the Antichrist is the enforcer of the covenants. Now, if you'll go back and read the syllabus, you'll find out that he's called the little horn, he's called the eleventh horn, he's called the eighth horn, which simply means he's going to rise up out of those that are in power and then enforce the covenant. He'll not be the world leader at that moment, but he will become the voice that will speak louder than every other voice in that generation. Okay? So, the two witnesses are going to begin to prophesy judgment against the Antichrist. And we're going to see in just a second from scripture how significant this is because God says something in Amos chapter 3 the Lord says this the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants the prophets God uses the prophets when you read the Old Testament God never released judgment on the nation of Israel unless he first gave them a prophetic voice declaring judgment and the reason God gave them a prophetic voice declaring judgment because with every proclamation of judgment there was a declaration of redemption that God wanted to redeem them and save them and rescue them from what was about to come upon them because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And God is going to use these two witnesses to be a prophetic voice against the Antichrist against this new world system or world order and as a result of their prophetic voice hear me, God is going to release the seven seals and the seven judgments upon the earth so their prophetic voice is going to be an instrument on earth that God is going to use to release judgment upon the earth and we're going to see that the world recognizes that the world blames the prophets for the judgment why would they do that because it was the prophets that were declaring the judgment that was coming on the earth so let's read the scripture y'all still with me everybody good Revelations 11 John says, or the the Lord is speaking to John, he says, Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told to go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and to count the number of worshipers. But do not measure the outer court, for it has been turned over the nations, and they will trample the holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem, right? So where are we at when all this is happening? What is the centerpiece of end time events? It is Jerusalem, it is the Jews, and it is the land of Israel. So this is the Middle East is the centerpiece of end time events. 
So listen to what he says. He says, measure the temple, but don't measure the outer courts because the outer courts will be trampled for 42 months. Now, you're going to hear three numbers used in a lot. 42 months, 1,260 days, and three and a half years. And for all you mathematicians out there, you're going to know that 42 months, 1,260 days, and three and a half years are all the same. That's just the same way of saying the same thing, okay? So when you hear 42 months, 1260 days, or three and a half years, it's all talking about a three and a half year span of time, and we're talking right now about the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So the Jews are in the temple offering sacrifice, but the city of Jerusalem right now has been overrun by the other nations. So these other people that are in covenant with Israel are now trampling down the city, even though right now the Jews are still offering sacrifice in the temple before the Lord. So verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap, and they will prophesy during those 1260 days. And these two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. And if anyone tries to harm them, so that's interesting, so people must not be liking what they're saying because they want to harm them. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouth and consumes their enemies. And this is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. And they have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have power to turn the rivers and the oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. Now most scholars would, would dare to say that Moses and Elijah are these two end time prophets. Some people say Elijah and Enoch and you can debate that till Jesus comes, okay? So that's alright with me. But the reality is, is there are going to be two prophetic voices that are going to be decreeing the judgments of God as he begins to pour out his judgment on the earth because they have rejected and rebelled against his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, Now let's look at this next point. So the next thing that's going to happen as a result of their prophecy is the seven seals and the seven trumpets of judgment are poured out on the earth. Now the book of Revelations uh, talks about seven seals, it talks about seven trumpets, it talks about seven bowls or seven vials of judgment or wrath. It talks about seven thunders. And it talks about three terrors that are going to come upon the earth. We're not going to cover all of those today. We're going to talk about the seven seals and the seven trumpets because those are going to happen in that first three and a half years of the tribulation. So let's look in Revelations 8. And before we start in verse 6, let me give you a little detail. So you need to back up and read Revelation 7 because I'm not going to read about the seven seals. The first seal is the Antichrist. And then you begin to see judgment and death and plagues come on the earth. And this is what we find out from the seven seals. One-fourth of the earth is killed. One-fourth of humanity is destroyed and killed during those seven seals that are broken on the earth. So a fourth of the people on the planet this time have now been killed. Now let's start in verse 6. It says, and then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blast. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth, and one-third of the earth was set on fire. One-third of the trees were burned, and all the grass was burned. And then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea, and one-third of the water in the sea became blood. And one-third of all the things in the sea died, and one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. And then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch, and it fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star was Bitterness. It made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. And then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun, and one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars became black, and one-third of the day was dark, and one-third of the night also. 
Now, I want to just stop right there for a second. I want you to catch what's just happened. Four trumpets have been blown. Four judgments have been released on the earth. And by this time, um, one-third of all the trees and all the grass have been burned up. One-third of the ocean is blood. One-third of all the fish in the sea are dead. One-third of all the boats on the ocean are destroyed. One-third of all the rivers and streams are bitter, which means one-third of the water that we drink is now undrinkable, and people are dying from the bitterness of the water. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars refuse to shine, and now a third of the day is dark, and a third of the night is darker than it's ever been before. And if that wasn't bad enough, look at the next verse. And then the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened it, and smoke poured out through smoke poured out though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and the air turned dark from the smoke. And then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given the power to sing like scorpions. And they were told not to harm the grass or the plants or the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. So only the people except for the 144,000 Jews who had been sealed to be a witness and testify that Jesus is Messiah. Everybody else is about to be afflicted by this plague. Look what it says. And they were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a, of a scorpion sting. And in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their head and faces that looked like human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair. Their teeth was like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. And their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past. Well, look, two more terrors are coming. And then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speak from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great, great Euphrates River. And then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour, this day, this month, and this year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on the earth. And I heard the size of their army, which was two million mounted troops. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The the riders uh, wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. And the horses had head-like lines and fire and smoke and brimstone uh, and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. And one-third of all the people on the earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the burning sulfur that came from the mouth of the horses. And their power was in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes and the power to injure people. But the people, let's look at verse 20 and 21. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil and turn to God. They continued to worship demons And idols made of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood. Idols that can never see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murder or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, let me just do a little math for you real quick. So after the seven seals are broke, one-fourth of the earth is destroyed. One-fourth of the people on the planet are killed. At the end of the sixth trumpet, a third of the people left on the earth are killed. So if you do your math, that means that half of the people on the planet have now been killed. One half of the people on the planet have been killed. Now, maybe you're out there thinking as I'm reading that, 
And you're thinking, Pastor Keith, why in the world would God do this? I mean, this is so horrible what is happening on the earth. Why would God do this? I want you to understand a couple things. I want you to understand, first of all, that the world that God is judging during the Great Tribulation is the world that has rejected His Son, Jesus. They have willfully, purposely turned their backs on God. They have rejected Him. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie, and, and this kind of, the Holy Spirit just kind of brought this to me this week. I thought maybe it might clear it up for us. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Taken. Y'all ever seen that movie with Liam Neeson in it? I'm not recommending that you watch the movie. I, I, it's probably got bad stuff in it you shouldn't be watching, probably. But if you've ever seen the movie Taken, uh, it's kind of interesting because the bad guys kidnap his daughter. And then he begins this journey of killing all the bad guys on the way of rescuing his daughter. So I want to ask you a question. If you watch the movie, when Liam Neeson was killing the bad guys, were you saying, why is he being so mean? Or were you saying, go get them? During the seven years of tribulation, God is Liam Neeson. And the Antichrist in the world are the bad guys that have killed and denied his son. And the fact that we're still here today, guys, let me just say this to you. The fact that we're still here today shows how merciful and gracious God is. It's been over 2,000 years since the 69th week of Daniel and the last seven years that are going to unfold on this earth. And let's just be honest. If you and I were God, we would have ended this a long time ago, wouldn't we? If you and I were God, we'd have brought an end to this world a long, long time ago. But the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the fact that it's been over 2,000 years since the 69 week and the last week that's going to come on the earth shows how gracious and merciful God is, that He does not want anyone to perish. But when the day of the Gentiles comes to an end... And the church is raptured. Every person on the planet will have willfully denied Jesus as Lord. And God will then begin to pour out his wrath as he seals the Jews and begins to finish his salvation with his chosen people, the children of Israel. God will pour out his wrath. God's not being mean. He's being Liam Neeson. He's rescuing the world from the chaos, and he's bringing out judgment. Now think about this. One more thing. We're going to move on. A righteous judge brings his gavel down and brings judgment. And when a righteous judge executes justice and judgment, guess what happens? Good people are rewarded and evil people are punished. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Well, I'm just going to tell you something. Our God is a righteous judge. And the seven years of tribulation on the earth are the time when God is going to begin to bring his gavel down. And good people are going to be rewarded. And evil people are going to be punished because they rejected the hope of his son Jesus. Amen? All right. So let's look at our next point. I want you to see this. The two witnesses. Let's go back to them. The two witnesses are blamed for the destruction on the earth. And they are killed by the Antichrist, and the world celebrates their death. And after three days, God raises them from the dead and raptures them into His presence. So we know that the world and the Antichrist blame the prophets because when they die, we're going to see something, they have a party. 
Listen to this scripture, Revelations 11. We're going to pick back up where we were a while ago. And when they, the two prophets or the two witnesses, had completed their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them, and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie on the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all people, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies, and no one will be allowed to bury them. And all the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God will breathe life into them. And they stood up and terror struck all who were staring at them. And then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. And at the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. What city? Jerusalem, right? They laid in the streets of Jerusalem. Remember, everything revolves. Israel, Jews, Jerusalem. You see the common denominator here. And if you don't interpret end-time prophecy around those three things, you're going to wrongly interpret prophecy when you try to inflict the church in the middle of a story that we have been eradicated from. So, and at the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in the earthquake, and everybody else was terrified, and they give glory to God. There's a little glory right there. God finally gets a little glory in the midst of this. Look at this next point. I want you to see it. The Antichrist now... As all this happens, the two witnesses have been killed. Now the Antichrist is going to supernaturally recover from a deadly wound. So he's going to be maybe assassinated is what some people think. Somehow, somebody's going to try to kill him. And he is seemingly going to die, but he's going to be raised to life. Now listen to this. And he is then unveiled and given authority over the earth for 42 months. So as he is, he is seemingly killed, he's now raised to life. And we're about to begin the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And he's going to be given full authority over all the earth. Let's look at the, the rest of this point and then we're going to read the scripture. The false prophet convinces the world to make an image to the Antichrist. Sets it up in the temple commanding all the world to worship him or die. This will begin the last three and a half years of the great tribulation. So let's look right here in Revelation 13. John says, And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This is the Antichrist. The first beast is the Antichrist. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, which is Satan, gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery... That's the Antichrist. But the fatal wound was healed, and the world, the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast who is the Antichrist. Verse 4, they worship the dragon, which is Satan, for giving the beast, the Antichrist, such power. And they also worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaim, and who is able to fight against him? I want you to think about something. This world that rejected the resurrection of Jesus now accepts the resurrection of the Antichrist. When Jesus rose from the dead, they said, he can't be the one. 
When the Antichrist rises from the dead, they say he's got to be the one. You see the spirit of deception that's now over all the earth. Look at verse 5. It says, And the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. So this is about to begin the last three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people, that's the Jews, and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world, so this is, this is excluding the Jews who have now been sealed and marked by God, worship the beast. And they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, the book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. And anyone who has ears should hear and listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone who is destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people, again, that's the Jews, must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Look at verse 11. And then I saw another beast of the earth who had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke with the voice of a dragon. The second beast is the false prophet. So the Antichrist rises as a political leader, and we're going to see the false prophet rises as a spiritual leader that gives glory to the beast. Now, what's interesting here is in Revelations 13, we get a picture of the demonic trinity. So let's think about God's trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And have you ever thought about how this really works? God the Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to glorify me. And then you know who Jesus glorifies? Jesus glorifies the Father. So the Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus. Jesus gives glory to the Father. Now let's look at Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. You know how they work? The false prophet gives glory to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist gives glory to God. So in reality, the dragon, Satan, is trying to set himself up as anti-God. The beast, who is Antichrist, and the false prophet is anti-Holy Spirit. And so we this demonic trinity mocking the very image of who God is and how he reveals himself to us. And you see all three of those at work in this end time event. Now look at verse 12. It says, and he, the, this is the uh, false prophet, the second beast, exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast who is the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he had also, for all, with all the miracles he also, he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast. He deceived the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fat fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue that could speak. And the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. That's what we call the mark of the beast. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. And wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now let me just interject something right here. I, I want to interject something because the mark of the beast happens at the beginning of the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And the reason I say that is simply this, because I talk to people all the time that say, Pastor Keith, you know, they're putting this new chip in my credit card. Is that the mark of the beast? Let me tell you something. No one will accidentally 
take the mark of the beast. When a person takes the mark of the beast during the middle of the tribulation period, they will literally, I want you to hear this, when you take the mark of the beast, a person that takes that mark is swearing allegiance and worship to the Antichrist. This is not just I want to buy and sell. This is I am swearing my allegiance to the Antichrist and I'm declaring that I'm going to worship and I'm going to follow him. And so no one's going to accidentally do that. Now, people may feel like they don't really have a choice because they want to buy and sell. And so I've got to feed my family and I've got to take care of my kids. Because during all this time, how many know the world is still going? Even though half of the earth has now been slain and judgment has been poured out, there are still babies being born, there are still families being raised. And right now we've got a lot of people that are recognized. They're coming to this place. This guy that was a political leader that was kind of saving the day has now become this crazy man. That's setting himself up as God above all other gods, as a matter of fact, the Bible says. That means he's going to set himself up against above the Muslim God, above the Hindu God, above the Buddhist God, above every other God. And demand, I'm the only one you can worship. And if you don't worship me, you will die. And that is the beginning of the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And we're going to talk about that next week. And we're going to talk about the great white throne judgment. We're going to talk about the millennial reign of Christ. And we're going to talk about what a new heaven and a new earth is going to look like when God ushers us in to the beginning of what is called eternity. Let me give you one last point before we close. All these things that we've read today, all these things will will happen. You might disagree with the order they're going to happen in. That's okay. We can disagree about that. But every Bible scholar I know, whether they're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, rapture people, every Bible scholar I know, nobody argues with the fact that everything I just read from you, from those seven seals to those seven judgments, to the Antichrist, to the false prophet, to the dragon himself as Satan, to the two witnesses that are going to be on the earth, to 144,000 Jews that are going to be sealed, to a world that is going to be forced into a place of worship, not one biblical scholar argues with the fact that all those things are going to happen. And here's the realization. We can't stop it. We can't alter it. And we can't change it. But we can, listen to me, but we can decide what part we will play in those end time events. You get to decide. Are you going to be caught up in the rapture of the church? Or are you going to be left behind here on planet earth as a world that rejects and denies Jesus? as being the Son of God. You get to decide the parts you play. God's not going to make you, and no one else can. You get to decide. Dr. Forrest last Sunday used this scripture, John 7, verse 6. Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. What does that mean? It means our time is now. Right now is the day of salvation. Right now is the time for me and you to cry out, to know God. And in 1 John chapter 5, I love this scripture. Verse 11 through 13. The Bible says, And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Look at this last part. So that you may know that you have eternal life. I want to ask you the most important question you'll probably ever be asking in your life. Do you know 
that you have eternal life. For every person watching me online today, do you know that you have eternal life? If you have the Son, the Bible says you have life. But if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, then you don't have life. And here's the good news of the gospel. I don't have to live my entire Christian life wondering or even hoping that one day when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Or if I live to see the rapture, which we might very well do, that I'm going to be called up to be with the Lord. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to be a part of that number because I can know. I can know that I have eternal life because I know that Jesus Christ lives in my heart. I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I know that I know that I know I am a child of God. I want us just to bow our heads today. If you're watching online, just just bow your heads right where you're at right now, just for a moment of reverence. And if you're here today, in person or online, and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't know. I don't know with confidence that I have eternal life. I don't know with confidence that Jesus really is the Lord of my life. I've prayed some prayers, and I've been to church, and I've read the Bible But I don't really know that I know that I have eternal life and I want to know Him today. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And if that's you today, in person or online, I want to just encourage you to do something right now. Just raise your hand. Just a simple act that says, today is my day. I want to know today that Jesus is my Lord. If you're watching online, you can just type in that little comment box, I want to know today. I want to know today. You can write, I'm raising my hand. Whatever you need to do this morning. But if you don't know that you have eternal life, if you don't know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, man, today's your day. I'm just going to tell you, everything that we read is going to happen. It's going to come. Sincerity in my heart, you do not want to be left behind. You do not want to miss out on what the Bible calls the rapture of the church. Because if you do, I'm just going to tell you, it's not impossible, but it is improbable that as a Gentile you would ever come to faith in Christ because if you can't live for him now when it's easy why do you think you'd be willing to die for him later when it's hard so I want to do this today let's just pray this prayer together and if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior I want you to pray this prayer out loud with him I'm going to ask everybody in the room here today just to say it with me let's say it out loud dear Heavenly Father I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you ownership of my life. And by faith in Jesus, I receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. We love you guys. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer online, there's a link there. If you'll click that, we'd love to follow up with you and help you just take that next step in following the Lord. For all of you that are here today, we love you guys and honored to be a part of what God is doing. Amen. We're living in an exciting time. We're more, now more than ever, we need to be about the Father's business. Amen? Well, God bless you today. You're dismissed. Have a great, great day in the Lord. We are going to dismiss.